Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest returns, thanks to his willingness to let me force a movie pick upon him. <laughs> Please welcome back to the show, Austin from Central Cinema. Hey, hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. So... I know that you guys uh, just helped host the Knoxville Horror Festival. The Philly Film Festival just concluded over here. So I thought that before we jump into today's pick, that we could talk a bit about some of the good stuff that we saw at our respective festivals with the understanding that you were busy running things as well and didn't get to see an insane amount. Yeah, so it was pretty busy. But before the festival, I was able to watch Clay Tatum and Whitmer Thomas's uh, The Civil Dead. Great stuff. Really, really enjoyed that, and it seemed like people enjoyed it at the festival, so I was glad to hear that. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because with some of these, like, independent movies, when I do my, like, ranking of, of things that I've seen this year, sometimes I'm like, well, is it going to be able to, like, stand up to the assault of higher budget stuff in the rankings, like, just because the spectacle and everything, but The Civil Dead has really stood the test of this year, you know, there's been a lot of good stuff, but every time I look at the rankings, I'm like, yeah, The Civil Dead really did, like, kick ass, and it stayed pretty high. For low budget, it it looks amazing, too. Definitely, definitely. They did a really good job. But the other other new thing I saw was Something in the Dirt, the uh, Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead new movie. If you're into those guys, you'll probably enjoy this one, too. It's <laughs> it's less synchronic and more the endless which is how i like it i, I liked <laughs> synchronic but it wasn't my favorite of theirs by any means this has a lot of obtuse sci-fi elements <laughs> <laughs> so it, if you're into that kind of stuff you'll probably really enjoy this yeah i don't want to say more of the same as like a slam on it but it's like they're returning to their bread and butter kind of in a way that felt good like it felt like coming home kind of oh yeah more of the same is a big compliment because the endless was one of my favorite movies of great the year it came out and i was super glad to know that that they were still doing stuff like it yeah definitely so at the philly film festival i saw 14 movies And among them was my new favorite of the year. I figured I would do a quick run through of my top five. And so, you know, if you've heard of them, if you're interested in them, we'll bounce off How many days was that? 11 days. And there were a few where I had to take take days off where I was just like, I have other stuff going on. (laughs) It's a long time. 14's a lot. Yeah. So first up, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Played in the theater here, which I'm a big Weird Al fan going way back. Probably unsurprising to people. And Al was actually in the area to play a show the following night. And so he did like a secret drop by to introduce the movie, which was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And it was nice because it really got the audience like in a great state of mind to be laughing it up at the movie. You know, it's not getting a theatrical release. Bless them for making it. <laughs> but I do wonder how much better it plays in a theater with a bunch of other weird Al fans versus just like throwing it on and half paying attention it does feel like kind of a shame that this isn't getting a theatrical release really yeah the big packed kind of special audiences like that are always the best way to see things yeah definitely i i just saw him for the first time when was it like maybe august or something those shows are it, so much fun yeah it was a lot of fun it was a long time coming i've been a long uh fan since it was like early middle school i think yeah I saw him for the uh, Strings Attached tour where they were doing the whole like orchestra with him, which was also a lot of fun. All right, so next up was Broker, which is a Song Kang-ho helmed dramedy about uh, a human trafficker trying to sell a baby after a girl <laughs> abandons it. 
But then she comes back and she's like, okay, I'm going to help you find the right family to sell to. I mean, it doesn't sound like it would be funny, but it, it like it has some some lighthearted moments as well. And uh, I didn't think it was affecting me until there's one moment of hashtag found family TM. And I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm crying suddenly. So, so that was fun. Next up is After Sun, this very like delicate kind of movie where this woman is reminiscing about the relationship that she had with her young father. Most of it is on like a VHS tape of a, of a vacation that they were on. And it's not super explicit about what happens to them, which is interesting because it kind of just lets you project your own relationship onto it. I thought it was interesting in terms of not trying to do too much. It's not overstepping and forcing like something onto the audience. I saw you talking about this one. Was this one that was it real emotional or or something? I can't. remember. Yeah, it it is. I mean, it's that's the thing is that it's not overbearingly so. You know, it it is emotional, but kind of just in the like melancholic looking at the past kind of way always is you know Mm -hmm. third or i guess fourth now uh is how to blow up a pipeline which was a very cool movie about when it's time to stop passively resisting and go for more direct action in addition to being a movie with interesting politics however it was first and foremost a fun movie there's a lot of heist influence in it which helps keep things moving they had one of the writers slash actors in it uh, as well as the editor there and i asked them about their use of flashbacks and not breaking the forward momentum which is something that i find a lot of movies really struggle with is not making flashbacks feel like it's just a complete slamming on the brakes and the editor talked i thought pretty interestingly about finding the open-ended drama points that let them keep the audience in suspense the entire time that we're flashed back so it, it keeps it kind of moving in your mind i just thought it was a really well done movie yeah, that sounds cool and finally my movie of the year thus far park chan wook's decision to leave park is one of my favorite korean directors sympathy for mr vengeance and the handmaiden are both top five for me but he's also done JSA about the joint security area at the border between North and South Korea. And this kind of reminded me more of that one. There were a lot of great noir vibes. It's funny and sexy and thrilling. It's just some incredible shit. Beautifully directed. Can't recommend it enough. So he is still a blind spot for me. Oh, no, man. We, we've talked about this before. Yeah. I love the Vengeance trilogy. I mean, everybody knows Old Boy, but the two that uh, book end it, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Sympathy for Mrs. Vengeance, are also really spectacular. I had that like anti Hooptober list that yeah. was just like very breezy, and I still only got to like four of what I watched. So <laughs> I'm filing an extension and hoping that by the end of the year, I will have watched the trilogy. There we go. Hey. Uh, I'm approving that extension right now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it. I mean, the Philadelphia Film Fest was a lot of fun. Highly recommend going to it. Obviously, Austin recommends checking out the Knoxville Film Festival as well. There's still some cool shirts and stickers uh, available, I believe, right? Yeah, we just put up some of our Fulci Lives shirts. Sick. It started on Thursday and went till Sunday. But Thursday is kind of like our soft opening and it's usually a repertory thing. So Thursday we did three Fulci movies, City of the Living Dead, Murder Rock, and House by the Cemetery. Nice. And at Murder Rock we uh, was a secret that we hadn't announced, so that was fun to yeah. spring on people. If you haven't seen that, it's like uh, Italian flash dance with murder yeah. <laughs> sequences. It's just crazy. There's some fame happening as well. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was a pretty wild night and i've always loved fulci that was uh my my last uh best horror movie was the beyond of course have changed my <laughs> mind a second time so that's right <laughs> yeah i uh, i actually i have always liked fulci 
But this autumn, I also was not really doing Hooptober. So I was just doing a lot of Fulci Fall, where I was catching up on a lot of blind spots there. City of the Living Dead really blew me away. Like, that's really up there for me. I thought it was really spectacular. Yeah, that's a cool one. House by the Cemetery, I... It's it has its I moments have, for sure. I have to tell myself I like it because <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta work for that one a little bit, dude. That fucking kid is annoying. I'll tell <laughs> you what. Yeah, Bob. <laughs> Just the worst haircut. Yeah, there's a lot going on, but that's fun. Um, and then yeah, and then the I'd rather be shunting sticker is cool as well. Oh yeah, we uh, that was an in-house design, so we were we all liked that. <laughs> Not many people want to put that on their car. Surprise! Shocking! Shocking! They don't want to reveal that they're in the society. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into today's pick. This is a movie that Austin sort of had forced upon him in that I provided him a list of movies that I wanted to talk about. And I said, here, pick one of these. And this was the one we landed on. This was a rewatch for you. Uh, uh, we're talking about Extro, by the way, by uh, ha- Harry Bromley Davenport. Mouthful. <laughs> yeah, very impressive name. Do you remember the first time you watched it, how you came to it, any of that stuff? Yeah, so the first time I saw it, I think, I'm pretty sure I'd heard about it, just heard about the reputation. But the first time I saw it was at Central Cinema as a customer before I started working there. And it was on a double feature for The Late Show, which is where we showcase a lot of movies like this that are just kind of crazy and (laughs) sometimes horror, not always, uh, but it was... The first billing was Riccio, the story of Ricky, wow. and then followed by Extro. Wow. So it was just a real real zany, <laughs> oh, like, mind-melter of a night. But that was a lot of fun. That was, that was probably the best way to see it. Sounds like it. That sounds incredible. I love Riccio as well. Yeah, this is just a great movie for me. I... Uh, I mean, I have talked about it a couple times before. Not, I mean, as a bonus commentary i did for the patreon long long time ago like one of the first things that the patreon had i also went on friend of the show channel 83 i went on there to talk about extra a little bit but this is one that has really just stuck in my craw in a good way in that like it almost feels like my duty to make people watch it because it it is so wild and you know when you hear about it you go like oh the people say it's an et ripoff or whatever but and you know a lot of these sci-fi low budget movies promise stuff and then don't deliver and extra is just so weird and so fully delivers on the promise of the movie that like i just i want everybody to see it (laughs) i'm I'm curious who's calling it an et (laughs) ripoff People were, man. There was a lot of that in the contemporary <laughs> reviews. They were like, oh, it's cashing in off of that just because it was in the like theaters and stuff. But <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. And in order to get the full context of Extra, we do have to talk about New Line Cinemas in general. And nowadays, they're huge. I mean, they produced Lord of the Rings and The Conjuring, two absolutely enormous franchises. But at their start, New Line Cinema was a distributor, not a production company. And they'd gotten going by showing movies, like public domain movies, like Reefer Madness, on college campuses. Uh, they made $2 million on Bob Shea's $1,000 investment right at the start. And they used this to continue a focus on the youth. They sort of distributed outsider art, like Pink Flamingos and, and the John Waters movies. They did a re-release of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Night of the Living Dead. Plus international stuff, like the, in my opinion, absolutely spectacular Street Fighter series with Sonny Chiba and the spinoff Sister Street Fighter. Very, very fun stuff. I've seen the Street Fighter movies. I still haven't seen Sister Street Fighter. You know, 
it's funny because you're like do I really need more Street Fighter? And then you put it on, you're like, oh yeah, this does fucking rock also. <laughs> like it didn't, Sonny Chiba is amazing, but like just the spirit of the Street Fighter in those movies is kind of wacky and, and fun and over the top. And they actually like invented the X-ray kill that is so popular <laughs> so in awesome. uh, in Mortal Kombat now. So you have uh, Street Fighter to thank for that. Which is it two or three that's basically like a, a clip movie of the first one isn't that right oh i don't think that's true i it didn't didn't it didn't stick out to me at the very least there's one that has a, a lot of flashbacks i yeah, thought maybe it's been look it's been but a it, minute it still but works because, yeah I mean, exactly it's, it's you're awesome. just like oh it's flashbacks to him fucking whooping ass <laughs> yeah <laughs> now the problem was that distribution is a game of highs and lows and they wanted to get into production as well with the Nightmare on Elm Street script crossing Bob's desk in 1982. And he immediately committed to it, but they weren't exactly rolling in cash. And they needed one more big score. Enter Extra. (laughs) 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 To this point, their actual productions included the movie Stunts, John Waters' Polyester in Odorama, which was scratch and sniff cards included, and Alone in the Dark, which was their first foray into horror with Donnie Pleasance. But this was something new and ambitious, as much sci-fi horror tends to be. Let me just say, Alone in the Dark is awesome if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, Donald, that guy, he always commits. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) And you've got Martin Landau and, shoot, what's his name? Jack something. Palance? Yes, yes, yes. That's right. Uh, Yeah, fun movie. I agree. But this story was done by, like I said, Harry Bromley Davenport in collaboration with Michael Parry, a notable British fantasy editor. Davenport also did the music, Carpenter style, which I, I mean, I like it. It's fun synth. Who says no to that? <laughs> it was also produced by Philly boy Mark Forstater, who also produced Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, I don't know why, but that's an amusing companion piece to me. I can, I can feel a little bit of that. There. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly the killer rabbit, right? <laughs> And then he brought in Bob Smith and Ian Cassie to help write the final script, polish it up. And Bob Shea himself also got his little fingies in that pie. <laughs> Harry talks about the demands of Bob Shea a bunch in the documentary and the commentary and the commentary that are included on the Blu-ray, which, first of all, his impression of Bob is very funny. But also, it's stuff like he insisted on the Panther. <laughs> so some of the most non sequitur stuff seems to have come from him. That's surprising. I would yeah. have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, usually the producers are the ones who are like, pull back a little bit. <laughs> it's this and Witches of Eastwick are the two where the producers were just off their fucking rockers. <laughs> Harry also said, we just wanted to make a bloody horror film. And that was what drew New Line in the first place. Here's a quote from Shay. He said, we saw Davenport's first treatment. And it was his intention to include in the film several jaw-slackening moments, where you'd see things that might make you doubt for a moment that you were seeing things correctly. To me, the film is science fiction in the same sense that Phantasm is science fiction. It's really more of a horror-fantasy picture. The science fiction elements often get integrated into this kind of story, because when you want people to accept a premise, character, and action that are very far out, the quickest way to do that is to bring in a creature from another planet. People expect something weird from another planet, not from down the block. I think that makes sense to me in terms of just like getting people on board quickly and not having to waste time setting things up. I'll say the way the creature appears is there's definitely no setup. It just kind of shows up. Hell yeah. 
And this did mean bringing in some great effects teams, with the lead being special effects supervisor Tom Harris and creature effects done by Francis Coates. And they said, or excuse me, this was Bob. Uh, He said, this was our first movie to involve extensive effects. On our first film, Stunts, we had a really very quick course in the cost of film stunts. And we were surprised to learn stunts really don't cost that much. One man jumping off a building costs $500 or $1,000. It's not a big deal somehow. On this picture, we learned effects are more expensive than we thought. Part of it is the specialization in the field. A mechanical guy, a makeup guy, designers and builders and so on. And then not everything that is built at whatever expense works. In fact, a good deal of the effects were done and redone after the principal filming was completed because we really didn't feel we had what we wanted. So I, I think that the effects look pretty good in terms of like the melting and stuff. Uh, you know, yeah. I like a lot of what's going on in this. I think they did a pretty good job. It's surprising to me that it, it, a lot of it was reshoots. Yeah, I thought the effects looked pretty great yeah the effects eating into the already low budget played into the maxim on shay's movies which he said has struck some strictly creative types as rude and he said you don't want to make a good movie you want to make a good enough movie (laughs) to get on the screen so that the audience reacts correctly and then he invokes corman here and he says he for instance knows that you can make a spacecraft hull out of polystyrene coffee cups if you have to that is in one way the beauty of a low budget picture you have to call on your people to use genius and ingenuity instead of money and obviously it's uh, very easy for him to say that as the money man (laughs) but i also do think that it's you know it's nothing new to say that people are sometimes inspired by their limitations and having to fit into the budget uh you know there are there are some really great effects for a low budget movie yeah i'd forgotten it's been a few years since i'd seen it so there was a few things that kind of surprised me just slackening moments The cast, I think, is really interesting as well. The two leads are Royal Shakespeare actors, which I think helps them to bring a little gravitas to it. The family drama elements of it do work for me. And I think that they kind of ride the line of awareness really well in terms of like sometimes they're playing things pretty silly and sometimes they're like really committing to it and treating it seriously, you know? Yeah, there's definitely some like melodrama that goes along with it that despite all the weird shit that's happening, it's still this weird story about this dude who kind of star man like, but real weird freak star man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He comes back into the life of a, uh, of a family that has sort of moved on after he disappeared. And there's a lot of, will they, won't they love triangle action happening here. That Philip Sayer is Sam Phillips. Bernice Steggers is his wife, Rachel, and Daniel Brainin is Joe Daniels. Sam Phillips and Joe Daniels are both just use their first name as the character's last name names. <laughs> the final main cast member is Simon Nash as Tony. It's so funny in the commentary when Davenport is dunking on this kid and trained child <laughs> actors in general. He's just like, they're so loud and unnatural. <laughs> <laughs> Those dumb kids. Yeah, it was really funny. Davenport was a very funny guy in the commentary very blunt i really appreciate it i always like in commentaries when they're not trying to talk up the movie in terms of like convince you that it's good where they're like actually approaching the movie as it is and talking about what went wrong sometimes well this is the guy that also did extra two and three right (laughs) yeah yeah he sure did brother (laughs) the extra itself is two mimes tick and talk And they were actually in the documentary as well, which I thought was fun, although they did talk. (laughs) 
It was originally planned to be like a faceless standing rubber suit, but then they hired these guys to crawl around on all fours on their back. I think it does work as something unsettling. Like it's a weird idea. You can kind of see how the head is kind of screwed on the wrong way. It just, I think it's creepy. Yeah, it looks awkward in a like a good way. Yeah. And the six-week shooting schedule passed quickly. Then the movie came out in England to great controversy due simply to the timing of Evil Dead and the video nasty moral panic in general. And although it was released uncut after the Video Recordings Act of 1984, it was deemed to be a Section 3 video nasty, which meant you wouldn't get prosecuted for obscenity for having it, but it was liable to seizure, confiscation, and destruction. For little old extra. That's lame. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was lame for any of them, but specifically... I mean, this one is so inoffensive. (laughs) Yeah, it's really not that bad. They didn't really do anything to it. They were just like, "Mm, we don't actually like it, though. (laughs) (laughs) And the real problem was that it was exacerbated by the news in England, using Extro as an example of the kind of, quote, filth that a killer had when they were reporting from his house. They were like, look at this. (laughs) They showed a copy of Extro. It's like, wow, that's fucked. Poor Extro. They can find a lot worse in my show. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying, man. Throw on Zombie or something. Any of those Fulci movies. God damn. Uh, nevertheless, it performed well enough in the U.S. to facilitate the production of Nightmare on Elm Street. And the rest is history. New Line is called the house that Freddy built, but he wasn't building shit. If Extro didn't lay the foundation, baby. <laughs> It did get a negative reception from critics. Shocker. We got to check in with old Raj. (laughs) He saw it on a double bill with Tootsie, actually. And he called it, quote, the work of incompetent cynics, a completely depressing nihilistic film, an exercise in sadness. It's movies like this that give movies a bad name. Thank you, Raj. (laughs) What old, I don't even know. Curmudgeon. Yeah. Words can't describe an attitude like that. On the other hand, it got a great reception from me, George. (laughs) (laughs) Best horror movie ever made. (laughs) So let's get into the actual movie. Starts off with these Starfield credits. That's always fun. Who doesn't love a Starfield? And Tony and his dad, Sam, are playing fetch with their dog when dad throws a stick so hard it flies into another dimension. (laughs) (laughs) And, And that draws the aliens. They come and kidnap him. But it turns out Tony was reliving this again via nightmare. And mom says dad just left, but Tony is convinced it was real. This is, I mean, you said that there's not really any setup or anything. I kind of love that they're just like, fuck it. They kidnapped him out of nowhere. Who gives a shit why? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't need, I mean, anything they come up with is not going to make sense. Just just make it happen. Just happens. They're unknowable, those aliens. It also that it looks amazing. Just, yeah, I, it it seems like something that's been done in other movies, but the the way they shot that just looks really cool and it's simple and yeah, it's a lot of just like using light and then the sort of aftermath and everything. I think that it it is done really well in terms of again knowing the budget, working within their limitations, and coming up with something that is maybe more simple than if they had had more budget to be like, well, should we try and build like a big spaceship? It's like, no, just use this light, just use the screaming and getting sucked in and everything. It looks good. We also meet Annalise, the nanny, who is frankly extremely hot. She went on to be a Bond girl in the Dalton one, The Living Daylights. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And Joe, mom's new boyfriend, who feels kind of bitter about Tony not immediately taking to him as dad, which is kind of funny. They're like, oh, it's been three years. But it's like, hey, that's it's not so long when your dad fucking got abducted by aliens in front of you. <laughs> 
But suddenly over the hill, a bright light, and we're in the burning wreckage site where Extra is born. Seven minutes, and we get the alien. <laughs> Don't waste our time, baby. <laughs> it looks fucking awesome. Exactly, yes. The Extra birth, and then the like scuttling off the road. It all looks fucking good, baby. A couple in a car swerves after hitting him, and they do get immediately killed by Extro. Gotta get that strength back up. Boom, eye stabs. <laughs> that made me laugh. Where is the husband yelling at her to get back in the car? Or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> he says it like five times. And she's like, what's the fuck? Get back in the car. <laughs> I do also like, you see like the shadow cross the door before she reaches for it and gets grabbed. It's like... You know, there is some artistry to this. Yeah, you know, He's not just fucking, uh, let's get out in the woods and shoot a fucking guy in an alien suit. No, this is the work of a cynic. <laughs> an incompetent cynic. That's right. <laughs> Tony wakes up again the next night and he intrudes on Sam and Rachel having sex. But Extro is stalking his next victim, a woman who's just chilling in her house, getting ready for bed. And again, you know, when he's out there in the woods, it looks pretty good, but... The idea of it, like the idea, like putting myself in her shoes and being like, oh, if you looked out into the woods and saw Extro there, that would be fucking terrifying. Like he is such a weird design. What are you going to do? Can't call anybody. You go, what is that? Some fucked up deer? (laughs) (laughs) Call the police? Help. An Extro's here. What are they going to do? Come in and shoot your dog? (laughs) She actually does have a very cute dog who is upset about Extro in the area. And when she goes looking in this fun red lighting, she gets, you guessed it, attacked by Extro. (laughs) (laughs) And he impregnates her via, like, face hugger if the face hugger was actually an alien penis. And it's, like, really fucking gross. It, like, like latches onto her face. It's nasty. Yeah, that was a little hard to watch. It's (laughs) just very nasty. That one's pretty gross. Yeah. The next scene is also pretty great. Mom goes to check on Tony, and he's just completely soaked in blood, and she's freaking out. He's just like, don't worry, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) The doctor can't find anything wrong or any explanation, so he just shrugs, and so does Joe. (laughs) And he's like, uh, okay. It's funny how everyone is suggesting shit, including Annalise, and and Rachel is like, everyone just stay the fuck out of this. (laughs) Joe has his two cents. I did also laugh. When the doctor is like, he's like saying thank you to Annalise and he's like, uh, and you're, and miss. And she says, merci. And he says, thank you, Miss Mercier. (laughs) He calls her mercy as her name. Just a fun little detail. There's some goofs in there. And then you contrast this funny little moment with the aftermath of the alien attack, which is so truly off the wall, this rapid pregnancy. And then she gives birth to the dad to the fully grown dad who chews off his own umbilical cord and then loots the corpse from earlier. <laughs> I've never seen something like this before. How far into the movie is this? Like 15 minutes? Something like that. It's not it's, long. It's crazy. <laughs> the effects, again, look great. Like, it is so awful and like disconcerting to watch him emerge from this woman. <laughs> it's like it's like a, the Always Sunny where... Danny DeVito crawls yes. from the couch. It's exactly like that. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you, folks out there, you will never forget this scene. It will sear itself into your brain. <laughs> and, you know, like I said, a lot of people were like, oh, this is cashing in on E.T. being popular. But to me, I do think that there is also a lot of interesting close encounters of the third kind in it. It's kind of like a like an antithesis of that movie in that 
he fucked off. He gets taken by the aliens at the end of that movie. And we're all like, oh, wow, good for him. But what if once he's on that ship, they turned Richard Dreyfus into a weird blood sucking egg laying extra <laughs> <laughs> to a pervert alien? Yeah, that's this movie. <laughs> he calls Rachel. Extra does. Dad does. Now he's in dad form. He calls Rachel to try and make contact, but he's still getting the hang of things. He can't talk, and he, like, melts the phone by accident somehow. That effect looks real cool, where it Mm -hmm. just kind of melts into the wall. Yeah, that is really cool. I guess it was like a rubber box or something. I don't know. Yeah. Tony still seems to be back to normal, and he's playing with his army man and his snake Harry, so they're still sending him to school. There's like, fuck it. It's funny also that we do see that Harry has eggs, so probably not a boy snake. (laughs) We also meet an annoying neighbor on the way as well, and on the way to school, Sam is watching. We see that Joe is a photographer. He has this great line, think of think of that foot as your face and smile. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the, was it an ad for shoes or what else? What, what there was like a hamburger there too. Oh, I yeah, genuinely yeah. don't know what was happening. <laughs> he also says, have you rounded up those dupe negs yet? to make sure that we know he knows the lingo. (laughs) He's a professional, folks. Rachel goes to pick up Tony, and the teacher says, oh, dad just picked him up a few minutes ago. So she runs after them in a hurry, and true enough, there are Sam and Tony lurking ominously in the shadows. (laughs) (laughs) And he wants to come home, but she's like, hey, it's been three years, bro. I've moved on a little bit. Though she does still invite him over, where he regales her with the story of the abduction. A very funny interaction with the neighbor as Joe walks up and she's like, Sam's home. Bye, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) He walks in and Tony is playing Connect Four with Sam. And clearly, neither one of them has any idea how to play this game. Because as Tony is dropping in his piece, it's now the fourth win on the board with yellow winning almost immediately on the bottom. (laughs) Yeah, I noticed that there's a there's multiple four in a rows. I was like. Are they playing Connect 5? <laughs> is this a game I don't know about? I don't know, man. And then you can't even say, oh, they just kept playing until Tony won, because there's already a red win as well. It's not even like it's just all <laughs> yellow wins. Very funny little detail again, where it's like, what the... F- it's just everything makes you feel off balance. <laughs> Joe is freaking out and saying Sam just left them, but Rachel is inclined to let him stay. And meanwhile, Sam is looting Harry's tank for eggs, which he squeezes raw into his mouth, and it is... So fucking gross. They're like gray and slimy all over his face. He doesn't even get them all in his mouth. It is atrocious. Yeah, he could have just put the eggs in his mouth. That was, that was so gross. He doesn't want that shell. Even though he's an extra, he still is like, no, no, thank you for the shells. <laughs> Tony sees him do this and he runs away while Harry is like, no, my babies. He escapes the tank. They Harry really gets the short end of the stick in this movie. Uh, they see their eggs devoured and then, spoiler alert, gets malleted to death. <laughs> Literally liquid in a plastic bag. I don't even know how she got him in there. <laughs> when Rachel can't find them, she thinks that Sam came back just to steal Tony, which is interesting to me, you know. Again, we talked about the melodrama. I think this character is really great. There's a lot of like internal conflict that's communicated really well because she clearly was still in love with this guy, but the fear of him being there just to take now Tony away as well, I think is a realistic one. You never get like a full read on him because it seems he seems like a nice guy, but then he's doing extra shit. 
So you, it's, you gotta watch out for that extra shit. It's a real red flag. <laughs> After Sam chases Tony down in an alley, he's like, look, they changed me up there. But he also specifically says, I was lucky and I came here to get you. So she was right. Then, ah, the, the shoulder suck <laughs> makes me writhe as Tony's eyes roll back and this lump inflates. Uh, yeah, that was nasty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, fucking gross. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that you you just got to see it if you, if you haven't watched this before. It, it's a lot of new images. Yeah, me me being like, oh, there's like a little lump on his arm that inflates does not do it justice for how disgusting it looks. <laughs> it's like worse than the worst bee sting you've ever seen or something. <laughs> this guy's sucking on it. <laughs> Rachel and Joe return home empty-handed and find the other two sitting there, casual as you like, eating some candy. And she's like, would you mind letting me know where you're going next time? And he's just like, oh, of course. (laughs) The neighbor, meanwhile, is eating bonbons and enjoying the grim details of the murder on the news, a.k.a. classic old lady shit. (laughs) And the adults argue in the kitchen while Tony apparently has developed psychic powers from this shoulder suck, and he forces a top to spin I love this half-hearted throw of the bottle by Sam in the argument, and then Joe going, you crazy maniac, you're out of your fucking mind. (laughs) I gotta start calling people crazy maniacs more often. It's also a great moment when Tony calls for daddy, and both Joe and Sam rise from the table. Again, every time you get some alien stuff going on, you also get the human element uh, that keep you engaged as well. And Joe glumly sits back down, and Sam warns Tony about his new powers. They also say, Annalise is just what we need, but we mustn't damage her, which is ominous. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, after a while, it becomes a little less uh, uncertain which way he's going. (laughs) You can kind of get it. You get some clues. (laughs) Harry crawls down to the neighbor's apartment, and he falls in her salad, which she doesn't care for leading to the aforementioned malleting, and obviously Tony is furious, and Sam continues to be strange. And Joe is forcing a decision here, and he's like, if you want him, what am I doing here? And it's funny seeing Joe and Rachel here together, and they have, like, the exact same hair. (laughs) That felt very 80s as well. Back in Tony's room, we get this, like, surreal Black Lodge-style carnival scene where a tiny clown wakes him up. This guy looks angry. He holds up this razor blade hypnotism yo-yo and wobbly hammer. And again, you're just like, what am I even looking at? Like, it's not difficult to understand what's happening on screen, but it is difficult to, like, parse it into your normal everyday life understanding. Like, why is this happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's very surreal in a good way for me. Parts like this feels like it's out of, like, peewee or something like the nightmare <laughs> sequences or something I don't yeah know. It, definitely it's crazy before lynch was doing twin peaks it feels like he's doing black lodge stuff here but all the noise gets the neighbor to bang on the ceiling <laughs> and tony is like i hate her and so suddenly his army man is giant but still disconcertingly plastic and he hunts <laughs> her down <laughs> It's so bizarre looking. There's nothing threatening about the soldier, but it it just is creepy and like uncanny valley or something. I don't know. Exactly. Yes, it is. It rides right that line where you're like, it doesn't even really look like the face is kind of mask like, but then the hands are also very plasticky in a way where you're like, oh, he is like 
a too big doll. He really, yeah. like, they pulled it off. Yeah, it's real creepy looking. He does bayonet her after she can't resist reaching for another bonbon. <laughs> In the suit jacket that Sam stole, Rachel finds a photo of a woman with an affectionate note and a huge wad of cash. So now tempers flare a bit here. But Rachel goes to talk with Joe about taking Sam back to the cottage since it's the last thing he remembers. And Joe is like completely apathetic at this point. He's just like, whatever, I don't even fucking care anymore. Tony and Annalise are staying home and he wants to play hide and seek, which she declines so that she can go lie down, a.k.a. have sex with her secret lover. <laughs> is, it, is that where the, uh, the kid says you like to lie down a lot? Or whatever? Yeah, you're always like, lying down. Yeah. <laughs> that made me laugh. <laughs> This guy also, he's like a bit of a discount John Bernthal. <laughs> Tony is persistent, and she finally agrees to a quick game, which he uses to lure her into the elevator, where the clown is waiting for her Mission Impossible style. <laughs> he langley's down onto her. <laughs> That's such a funny shot. <laughs> Using the floppy hammer feels worse to me somehow than a regular one. It's kind of insult to injury going on there. It's like... Getting hammered by grandpa from the <laughs> oh. Sawyer family. Tony, that sick fuck, he sucks on her belly, and she gets all veiny and inflated before the blood drains. And you're like, oh, vampire aliens. <laughs> it is gross when you see the like blood drain out of the veins that have popped up. Again, just like really well done effects. And the secret boyfriend is like, what's going on? When suddenly the toy tank in the hall also starts moving on its own and shooting at him. And it chases him into the bathroom where he finds Annalise all cocooned up. And this is also fucking gross looking. Yeah. <laughs> Back out in the hall, there's a panther now. We did at least see the toy with the clown earlier, but it still feels kind of out of nowhere in a funny way. <laughs> and someone else has been at the cottage filling it with gas and spatchcocking some wildlife. Obviously, our, our man Sam there, but he convinces her to ignore it with some smooching. <laughs> Back of the cabin, though, his flesh disguise is coming apart. A gross chunk of his scalp falls right off. <laughs> so great. He literally just reaches up. He's like, oh, that's fucking nasty. He throws it in the fire. <laughs> Annalise in the cocoon has also escalated even further into nightmare territory. The fever dream of a clown putting eggs in some slop just haunts me. <laughs> yeah, I rewound that this time, and it was. I was like, oh, that's so <laughs> It's like in a... Wait, is, is it a, what was it, a freezer that, he, that he's putting it in? Yeah, it's like a, a tub and a freezer, and like they've got all kinds, everything that can open is getting slop put into it, and eggs. <laughs> is it, isn't there like a light emanating from yes. it, too? <laughs> Annalise had to sit on a bike seat for hours in that cocoon, which fucking must have oh. sucked. <laughs> yeah, looks very uncomfortable. Yeah. At home, the clown answered Rachel's call, and he rips the phone off the wall, so she calls the handyman instead, which did kind of laugh <laughs> this guy. And he does reluctantly check on the apartment, but they don't answer, and when he takes the elevator back down, the lights go out, and he gets cut in the throat by the top, which was what my mom always warned me was going to happen if we got Beyblades. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't allowed. The rocks. <laughs> Joe gets called next, and while Rachel asks him to check on Tony, he notices that the picture she found is the dead girl in the newspaper that he was using as birdcage lining. Sam melts the receiver box but uh, when Joe tries to warn her, and he steps outside to discover Tony sitting on his car. Joe does that. He, he's like, I'm going to go get Tony, and then I'm going to come to the cottage. 
Tony is, is there already. He's prepared. They're falling right into their trap. <laughs> and they head for the cottage where Sam and Rachel are having sex in the dark. And he's rotting and nasty, which she discovers and is freaked out. But he like holds her there and finishes before falling apart some more. And I do really like there's a moment where the shadow kind of looks like regular extra, even though he is still in his like falling apart human form. Maybe I'm reaching there, but it looked like it to me. I thought it was a cool moment. Who knows? I mean, we've seen some other cool artistic stuff. I don't think it's completely out of reason that that could be on purpose. He kind of reminds me of like Brundlefly. Yes. Or something. Definitely. Yeah, he, he is uh, truly falling apart in a disgusting way. Joe and Tony do arrive, but Joe gets driven mad and brain explodes out of his ears Lovecraft style just by like looking at the fucked up alien face. <laughs> Truly funny. He's just like, ah, and then Joe does the same exact thing, except his the head explodes, basically. <laughs> and Sam steals away with Tony into the woods. And suddenly they're both fucked up together. And the light in the woods is back to take them away. The Tony alien is also really good and fucking upsetting looking. (laughs) And yeah, they were right all along. He came here to get him. Rachel heads home, also looking kind of loony at this point. And the panther is there and the eggs have all hatched into Tony clones. Clonies. (laughs) Which is a nightmare because he's kind of a little shit. (laughs) There is, of course, the alternate ending as well, which is also very fun where she comes back to find the eggs still there with a pulsating extra fetus in them, and it leaps from the egg to impregnate her mouth just like the girl from before. I don't know. I, I, I like them both. I think maybe I prefer the alternate ending, actually, but uh, the Tony clones are fun, too. Yeah, I think I like... I think I maybe like the Tony clones. I don't know. Sure. I don't know why both. You'd, I don't know why you'd <laughs> want a bunch of Tonys. Uh. <laughs> That's the real nightmare. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that's that's the end of the movie. There is a talk of a, of a fourth Extro movie, Extro the big one, that takes place during an L.A. earthquake. There's an alien invasion. They said that there's a, a teen girl making out with a teen guy, and then she sucks his heart out through his mouth. <laughs> and uh, I said, I'm sold. That's, that's enough for me, Harry. I'm sold. The sequels don't tie in. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, Extro 2 is kind of just like military. I would say it's kind of like, um, what's that Kurt Russell movie? Stargate? Yeah, it's kind of oh, Stargate-y. Yeah. And uh, Extro 3 I haven't seen, actually, although I have heard uh, people say that they like it more than Extro 2. So I have to see that at some point. But Extro 1, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's kind of doing its own thing. Feels like a very nice, succinct uh, encapsulation of what I love about uh, B-horror movies. But before I uh, tip my hand too much, we've now reached the part of the episode, Austin, where we sum up why this isn't just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. <laughs> <laughs> Extra is the best horror movie ever made because it takes a simple concept of alien abduction and... In some other movies, it'd just be played kind of straight. Guy comes back weird or uh, just doesn't really play it up a ton. And this one, like, takes it just all the way over the top. It's going full throttle, like, 15 minutes in, just, like, weird shit. (laughs) Impregnating and and birth. I mean, there's mere minutes between 
those <laughs> two scenes. Like it, it doesn't. It takes no time. Yeah, there's one cut back to the family stuff, and then when you go back to the house, it's <laughs> birth. <laughs> and it, it just feels kind of like a like a greatest hits of like all the weirdest movies you've ever seen. <laughs> And like in ways you wouldn't really expect, like the clown stuff and like the toy soldier. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really cool effects that are cool to look at, but also make you want to look away kind of because they're so gross. <laughs> and and it's a low budget, so you you got to appreciate when they get it right. So yeah, I mean it, it's just uh, it's what you want from these movies. They're a little bit exploitive and gross and just not a not a whole lot of substance but there's still something there behind the surface and yeah it's a section three video nasty baby yeah that's <laughs> what the people want <laughs> and that's why it's the best horror movie ever made hell yeah to me this is the best horror movie ever made because when i first watched it i loved it and i put the blu-ray that i got onto my so bad it's good shelf and then by as soon as the second watch, I was like, this is not the right place for this Blu-ray. Because it's just good to me. I just genuinely really love the movie Extra. I think that it is so fun, but it is also really swinging for the fences in a way that doesn't feel like someone just being like, ah, well, we don't have a huge budget, so I'm going to just let things be slipshod. You know, it feels like a really i i don't know what rog is talking about this feels incredibly competent to me like it feels like a very well done movie that happens to have some insane shit in it which i i read it wasn't even intentionally like like the tone of it was unintentional which is crazy it is but i think that part of part of what happens and part of why that happens is because the human drama is so grounded and having those Royal Shakespeare actors to perform that element of the movie, I think is crucial because it makes the surreal shit so much more surreal when you are balancing that with this like love triangle that's happening here. And to go from that and literally in the next room is like the Black Lodge and a clown with a razor blade hypnotism yo-yo. <laughs> it's just such a, it just keeps you off balance in the best way. I really think that it is emblematic of what I love about these kind of movies in that it punches way above its pay grade. The effects look great and people clearly give a shit. You know, part of my problem with Extra 2 is that the main characters are all like, I mean, uh, I forget exactly who it is. Jan Michael Vincent. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's Jan Michael Vincent. He's fucking shit-faced the whole time. <laughs> no one else gives a shit because the star is drunk and they're all like, I mean, you, they have even less budget, it feels like, and I think that that's the case. But like, this is is good. I think that it doesn't feel like a B-movie even though it has the spirit of it. And that's, to me, what makes it the best horror movie ever made. Austin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. This was so much fun. Please tell the people any plugs that you have, anything you want to direct them to, Central Cinema, new merch and stuff that we were just talking about. Yeah, glad to be back. We're on probably most active on Instagram. Um, I think Central Cinema Knox is our handle. And then there's also Knox Horror Fest. So you can get updates on what we're showing. And that should lead you to our website where we've got... We don't have a whole whole lot of stuff online, but... 
we do have that new faulty shirt and if you feel so inclined to say you'd rather be shunting on your uh, vehicle you can get that as well yes i i highly encourage you all to do so as far as my plugs you can find me on twitter at little horror phl that username applies pretty much everywhere including instagram and letterboxd and the patreon we got all kinds of fun bonus episodes over there but I also, we have a really fun run of regular episodes coming up that I want to uh, plug people towards and say, hey, stick around. We got some good shit coming up. Paul Rust is coming on next week to talk about Psycho. Then Mark Rennie is coming on to talk about Carrie. And then Matt Apodaca is coming on to talk about our newest release yet, Barbarian. That's going to be sick. Let me let me just say, my first time I was here, I called out Matt and Paul of with Gorley and Rust. So <laughs> it I, worked. I mean, I think... Think I'm you to think, partially yeah. responsible. I say entirely responsible. <laughs> <laughs> now where's Matt? You got to do the same. Matt, we're calling you out next, Matt, man. Matt, <laughs> if you can hear me, <laughs> we're coming for you. Yeah, you're next, pal. All right, and then yeah, and then probably uh, Plutember again. We'll do so. Uh, a lot of great stuff coming up at the end of 2022. And uh, yeah, check out the Patreon mailbag is uh, best little mailbag at Gmail. Rate and review if you're enjoying the show. Uh, you know all the stuff. Come on, do it. Do all the stuff. Just do it. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.